Welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast. This show is intended for information purposes only, but we're not experts. We're just two guys within the Bitcoin community. Bitcoin is an experiment in the separation of money and state. You'll be surprised how many will support that. And adoption is the only thing that matters. Welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast, episode number 67. I'm your first host, Marcello. And I'm host number two, D. I'm host number three, Corey. Uh, we're brought to you by escrowmybits.com, like always. Mm. Nothing's changed because it's super easy and it only takes three steps. Let me tell you about these three steps. Register, deposit, sell or ships the item. That's it. Buyer will check the goods. Release the funds, and they also offer Bitcoin escrow with a locked exchange rate. I'm talking euros, I'm talking yen, I'm talking USD. They got you covered, no problem. They charge a small flat escrow fee of 1% on all escrow transactions, and they even offer you the ability to split the fee with the other party. Come on, they have thought of everything. Their goal is to make using escrow as simple as possible, and we want there to no longer be any excuses on why to not use escrow. Start the escrow process, go to their website. Sign up for that newsletter and stay up to date. That website again is escrowmybits.com. Escrowmybits.com. Escrow your shit. Mm-hmm. Hey, not to throw us off the rails from the jump, but have you guys ever wondered why there's no delivery barbecue joints? Nope. Never. Nope. Never cross your mind either, Cello? Um, don't they have that? Doesn't um? Well, our global listeners aren't gonna know this, but our local listeners will. Doesn't H E B have like ready to go barbecue brisket? Yeah, but that's not delivery though. What if I'm on my couch, feeling extra lazy? I'm pounding down some Bloodline on Netflix, good show, and I want some barbecue delivered to my front door. I can. Oh, they got it. There's that you looked it up. Yeah. Mm, okay, that's it's called uh, in your town. It's called Bones Cracked Ribs Barbecue, and they will deliver it to you in Colleen. Hmm. God, y'all are fucking lazy. So you, uh, you mean tell- privileged, <laughs> not lazy? Yeah, yeah. Get out of here, Mister Third World. Jesus. Yeah. Mister, gotta walk to the grocery store and walk back with my groceries <laughs> and balance them on my head. Sorry, we we shouldn't. Alienate anybody who has to do that. No, nevertheless, privileged. So at least you know you're privileged. (laughs) We're very privileged here. What are the other kind of deliveries? Anyway, yeah, let's get into this show. There's been a lot going on in uh, the crypto world. Yeah, we talked about the DAO last episode. We did, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Ethereum this episode. And some big slide in some Bitcoin stuff. Let's start with the Bitcoin. Let's just start with that. What do you got for us? What's on the docket, Joe? Well, um, oh, we're not going to talk about the Dow. You want to just stick to Bitcoin? Let's say that for later, man. It's a sore subject <laughs> for well, everybody. I mean, I, I've never been talking about it. We can talk about it later, but let's, let's, let's do some Bitcoin stuff. We haven't talked about Bitcoin stuff in a while. Yeah. It's true. It's just like. Bitcoin news doesn't happen while other news 
is currently going on. You know what I mean? Yeah. Perhaps Bitcoin's uh, getting to a point where we have to dig deeper to look for the. Well, the, the changes that are happening are making a big deal, but no one's really talking about them. It's just the protocol keeps moving on. People keep using it. It's getting easier yep. to use. The price is doing its thing. I, I, yeah. I, it, it's, we're getting really close to the happening, and it, I, it, things are going to start shifting back over to Bitcoin because there's going to be a lot more attention on what happens during this somewhat monumental event. Mm-hmm. There was the auction. that That has happened. Uh, Australia auctioned off some Bitcoin that they, I guess, seized from somebody. Uh, auctioned that off. Um, what else? There's um, there was something that I wanted to. Zepay, Zepay is doing good. They just crossed thirty million in Bitcoin transactions. Zepay crossed thirty million in Bitcoin transactions. Coinbase has crossed four million users, which is definitely approximately sign because we don't know how many of those users are the same person just creating different accounts. Um, uh, even though... you got to have some, some pretty intimate information when you make a user account with, with Coinbase. Not if you want to use tiny, tiny amounts. Oh, yeah? If you want to use tiny, tiny amounts, all you need is an email. Yeah? Well, yeah. I, I, now, what, when what I say tiny... do you I'm think real of tiny. people who are actually doing that? I don't know. And I don't work for Coinbase, so I don't want to do the digging on that and not get paid for it. But I'm assuming that four million is definitely like a oh, we kissed four million in this entire five years we've been in business. Let's just throw that number out there. But they're definitely not getting four million users a month. I mean, that's not happening. All right, it's not. I mean, realistically, it's just not happening. I, don't I know. love they're, Coinbase. They're one of the largest companies in the bitcoin space period bar none four four million though four million users i don't know how many total users of bitcoin are there the blocks are blocks of transactions are going up uh they've they've incorporated they've they've shifted over to a you know exchange network so you pretty much have to almost sign up for coinbase just sign up for it they're probably lumping those customers in with them and what about inactives Right, those they'd lump those in. They have they have accounts. That's what I'm saying. They're not. I don't think they're getting four million users a, like reoccurring a month. I just don't. I don't see that as a reality. Uh, but I do see them moving uh, volume. That's true. Aren't they like ninth on the list? Bitcoin volume. Um, but they are moving volume. They're they're GDAX is slowly moving up. GDAX sounds like a bad Mortal Kombat character. Sounds like a normal financial name. It blends in quite <laughs> nicely with other financial names. It's like, it's like, oh, you heard about GDAX? Like, what the fuck do they do? If you they, had no idea, you'd be like, I guess they do things. I don't know. No. They wear. Go ahead. If, He's trying to mute it. He's trying to mute it. It's getting better. If, if Dax Shepard was a gangster, he'd be GDAX. Yeah. Nice. There you go. Or, yeah. I mean, that's all I got. Um, Bitcoin is doing this thing, and and um, it's 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 dredging along. I didn't want to address the community on something. I I I go into r slash Bitcoin because it's kind of like I don't know side gig now. I have to go just at least keep the pulse on what people are talking about, and I see a lot of bullshit. 
And what I mean, what I mean by bullshit is the like shitting on Ethereum and and shitting on Vitalik and people. You're never gonna move ahead by shitting on someone else, especially if they're in a moment in time where they're you know they're misfortune, they're unfortunate. You know what? Well, the internet's a pessimistic place, man. I get that, but it doesn't mean I can't throw my two cents out there and tell those douchebags to stop being douchebags because we know who you are. You've got Why do you think your your thank you thank you to the community uh, post did so well? Because it was like a, a fresh breath of air from all the negativity. Exactly, that's what I'm throwing out there right now. Like I know you. you, one of you might be listening. You've got monster energy drink stained neck beard, and you're like, oh, I can't wait to talk shit about fucking shit on the internet because it's what I do. But dude, chill out, man. I don't know. I I think like, I, I believe personally that we're at a time in society where there is enough enough room for everyone to find their own niche and make a living and be impactful. You don't have to try and shit on everyone else so that they don't succeed so that you have room to succeed. There's plenty to go around for everyone if yeah. you find your if you find where you're where you excel at. It's not a zero sum game in crypto either. A lot of people think it is, but I don't think it is. I guess I might be in the minority on that, but nevertheless. Um so that's it. My official address, my open letter. I saw a lot of these going around like three years ago. My open letter to the Bitcoin forum and Reddit. Uh stop being a douchebag and maybe focus on making Bitcoin better instead of shitting on other things. What is an open letter? I don't know, man. I saw that a lot. I see that a lot on forums. I think it's just posting your opinion and calling yeah. it an open letter. But you're you're, write, you're you're focusing your opinion on one one thing. You're not oh. addressing the community. You're addressing someone else and then publishing it in an open forum. Yeah. What were you going to say, Cello? Uh basically agreeing with Corey. Yeah. An open le- this is an open letter to Vitalik. And then they write this long diatribe of nonsense. But nevertheless, um, what else is going on in Bitcoin land? Besides well, our, guest, our guest this week, uh, Tor, uh, just tweeted uh, on the Stephen Tool Emin Goon Sarir Street Fighter battle. Uh, he's, he said this is a kind of horrible leadership at the now, and it reflects badly on the Ethereum core devs who endorsed the project. So he just threw his hat in the ring. Mm. You know, so, okay, Slocket made, they came up with the, they didn't come up with the idea, but they initiated a conversation to start the DAO so that they can be funded because they wanted the DAO to exist. And they spent a lot of time and effort trying to build it out and work with the community so that it could, it could manage itself, so on and so forth. They're essentially res- responsible for the creation of the, the DAO more or less this particular one at least a lot of work that went into it and then this happened and you can pretty much just say they're butthurt right you know it's butthurt it's Mm -hmm. all of what they were trying to do has essentially gone down the drain and been pushed down the road for a long time uh and so they're what their original goal in getting funding to do their project is out the window for Mm -hmm. a long time and what they're doing now um, is 
placing the blame or the the way they're managing and dealing with what's happened and what how we go forward and so on and so forth is I don't know they're really shooting themselves in the foot with this one they're not they're not handling themselves professionally in a way that's good for the entire Ethereum community and and at least in my opinion if they started another DAO to try and get funded I probably wouldn't join it because I don't know if I want that leadership in a company or if I want to invest into that company. The DAO maybe, but if the DAO wants to invest in that as its main thing, then it may not be something I want to be a part of. Oh, Peter suggests, uh, Peter uh, Vesinus, who's going to be on our show later in the week, said that he thinks it's simpler to just have a wallet that just distributes out balances to wallet holders pro-rata as funds come in. This could be the subject of a proposal, and I think he's going to write up some suggestions in a bit. Um, oh, actually, he did write up a proposal and put it on his blog. Um, so it's interesting on the block gas limit, and then you know he'll consider things like that. So he's not even you know considering hard forks or soft forks. He's thinking make a refund wallet like first. I mean, what what happens? What what happens after? Like how this goes forward is going to be interesting, and we're definitely following it. Uh, but in uh, terms just, of just how... refund directly, man, and then well, refund wallet. So we just let we let the attacker have all the money. Call it a day. It's a giant bug bounty program. He took a third of the DAO and a good portion of the total Ethereum, and now we're just good job, buddy. I'm I, you know, it, it, I think that it seems to me that the DAO was programmed with Solidity's best practices and it was exploited because of the newness of the platform. So I think everyone in the community is kind of thankful that it existed in the first place to uncover this, like, you know, patch in the ship that, you know, Ethereum is going to be much stronger for this attack. And maybe forking is a more elegant solution, in, in my opinion. But, you know, other people have other solutions. You're right. And so this is, I guess, where a lot of the conversation comes up. It's uh, whose fault is it? Is it, is, it, is, it? Yeah. is it the DAO? Is it Slocket and the DAO creators who created the contracts? Is it um, the newness of the Solidity um, programming language and how that transi- transitions into actual machine code on the Ethereum, Ethereum virtual machine and us not knowing that things like this exist? Or is it, I mean, who, where do you place the blame? If it's the latter of those two things, then you really can't place the blame on Slocket because of. We don't. There aren't enough people to really know that this thing exists. Like things like this are bugs, and so we need large entities like the DAO to try and exist for us to find bugs like this. And yeah, they may have knew it, but the thing was already started. The contracts are in the blockchain, and so there's nothing we could really do about it but try and fix it. And since there wasn't a mechanism to fix it quickly enough, it took all the money. So forking to the entire network. In order to compensate for the fact that the network was young enough to not know about these bugs, it affected MakerDAO. It probably affects Digix. I'm not quite sure. But all the DAOs have this issue, which means that it's a problem with the underlying way in which Solidity is transformed into machine code. And for those that don't know, you write a high-level language, which is called Solidity or the other one. I forget what it's called, the Python-based one. And it's essentially human-readable. You can see what the contracts are doing, what you're trying to do, and so, and then what happens is you compile this, and it turns it into what your computer understands. There's actually another intermediate step. We won't talk about that. But what the problem is is that because 
the high level way in which you write solidity and the translation step is somewhat unclear that the order in which things are done may not be obvious when you write this, the high-level solidity language, which means that there's very, very, very subtle ways in which you could program that can really, really, really fuck you, which is exactly what we've seen here. And there's because no the language is so that. young, we need to figure these things out. So fork it. We figured it out. Fork it. Move on. Don't let this asshole call it a bug bounty program and then rub it in our faces because it's probably going to ruin the entire project. I we were talking a little bit before the show and you made it seem as if I was like ah fuck it let's move on ah it was a mistake let's move on Yeah, I, I definitely have, I've read enough to know and I, I've been tuned in enough to know that I think the hard fork is the best option and I, I do know that it puts Ethereum as a network and it's, and it's like between a rock and a hard place but you're still somewhere you know that euphemism sucks. You're between a rock and a hard place, but you're still somewhere. You can wiggle out if you move quick enough. I think that yes, that we need a hard fork. It sucks because that's like a mulligan. But then I then I also read way 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 back in the day, even uh, Satoshi got a got a mulligan when when shit went bad with Bitcoin, and they hard forked it hardcore and just. Like everybody likes to forget about that, but that did happen. Maybe this is Ethereum's one mulligan. You know, people get their money back, and then we get to rebuild the DAO in a way that is secure instead of like fancy and cool. And I, well, I think it's, like it's not necessarily um, <clears throat> guaranteed that the next iteration of the DAO will be secure. It may have another issue, but I guarantee you that it's not going to be popular unless it has some type of failsafe in which we can fix it in the process of it being attacked. It's not going to have this thing where like, well, it, they happened. I guess we got to wait 30 days to figure out what to do. Like it'll have fail safes built into it. It'll be much more secure so that when there is a bug, which there more than likely will be, we'll have mechanisms to take care of it. This one didn't have those mechanisms or fail safes. It had good ideas on rational human beings acting when other people aren't doing what they want them to. But when you have a hack that that's this fast, there wasn't really any good mechanism. Yeah. Well, I I mean, I have trust in the community. Uh, it's the same community I've been down to ride with since 2012, 13 or somewhere in there. And, um, you know, I, I don't think my opinion matters much. I think it should definitely be the hard fork. Um, and, you know, get a mulligan get rid of that DAO and maybe try different practices. You know, this also but, uh, is useful for Bitcoin as well because Brutestock's going to be probably going to be a very large portion of um, I mean, smart tracks aren't going to be only for Ethereum. And when smart tracks are going to be allowed for, for Bitcoin, they're going to be able to learn from all of the things that Ethereum has done when they start creating their own smart contracts. So this is something they should definitely pay attention to and even be a part of the community so that they can learn from these lessons and not have similar mm -hmm. type of things going with Bitcoin, who has a much larger market cap and much more money flowing into it. You know what I think? And this is going to get a tad philosophical. Do we have time? Should we go into the interview before we do this? 
Yeah, we'll come back to your uh, your deep philosophical thoughts. Deep thoughts After with deep. After. I mean, it's very pertinent. I think it's pertinent. Well, let me remind everybody, and Eric Voorhees just tweeted this Continue. out, that uh, discussion of Ethereum and the DAO is only permitted on the Bitcoin Reddit uh, when the news is negative. Otherwise, it will get axed because uh, it's all censorship, my friends. Oh, yeah. We've, we've known they've been censorship for a long time. That's yeah. nothing new. Thamos is still bitch made, in case you guys were wondering. <laughs> Hashtag yeah. Thamos is still bitch made. You can't <laughs> censor me. You can't. Um, Tor has a great goatee and some bitchin' frames on his face. That's I like right, it. Man. Those glasses frames are sick as shit. Yeah, I haven't seen them from the neck down, but I'm sure everything is great. I can say <laughs> what I want about any guest I want. <laughs> This is our fucking show. My show. Why? All right. Uh, Tor Demeester is uh, he is an independent investor and commentator, and he has a background in Aust- uh, Austrian economics. That's pretty cool. Um, he specializes in the study of boom and bust cycles in the economy, and he's interested in Bitcoin. So you combine that together, he's a smart guy, um, and he's also uh, the adamant research. He's the editor in chief over there. And um, yeah, smart guy. So um, he has a lot to say, a lot of opinions, and we dive into a whole bunch of topics. Yeah. He's been touting Bitcoin since it was worth $5. And uh, so he, he knows a thing or two. He's, he's an elder, even though he's probably like, he looks like he's younger than us, but he's an elder. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, uh, and he knows a thing or two. And he's got some very poignant. Uh, commentary on Ethereum as well. So, uh, listen up. Here it comes. Here, Corey, did you have anything? No. Here, are you sure? Yeah. Here, <laughs> here it is. All right. So, uh, you know what? Let's let's fucking do something different this time. Okay. Uh, we typically like to give a small introduction about who our guest is and what they do, but today let's let's just let's just tour. Who are you, and what do you do in the space? How'd you get started? So on and so forth. Tell tell the people, tell our listeners about what you do, who you are. So I call myself an economist and an investor. Um, as far as that goes, my background is that I got involved in Austrian economics about 10 years ago, 10, 11 years ago. And then uh, from there, I moved from like the academic an- angle into into the investment angle. So I had my own uh, investment newsletter, subscription-based in, uh, in Belgium and Holland. And then um, on a trip to Argentina in 2011, discovered Bitcoin, started writing about it, and eventually also recommended it as an investment. And from 2013 onwards, I um, I did quite a few presentations at conferences and made a made two angel investments in the space, and uh, and then also been been active on social media and uh, wrote a few reports about uh, what's going on in Bitcoin from from an investment point of view. And in the long term, I'm working on the, the launch of a financial newsletter in English that is going to be um, not exclusively, but it's going to be in, in a significant part focused on um, the cryptocurrency space. And I should mention, like, if you're on Twitter and you're in the Bitcoin 
you've run into uh, Tor. Like, I've been following you for I think a year now, and I, I just want to plug you for a second. You you have a lot of opinions and a lot of insight, and I think you're very valuable to the community. I just want to put that as a footnote. Thanks, appreciate that. Yeah, I have a lot of fun with it, and uh, it's also helpful to like guide my own thought and get some feedback from people. It's been yeah, it's been great. I don't want to put you on the hot spot, but I'm going to put you on the hot spot. Uh, (laughs) So currently with the way – it's just how big the internet is, how free and open source the idea of all of the stuff is. Why would someone pay for a membership to follow you? What what, what are you offering them that they can't quite get on the internet themselves? The time and effort it takes to find this information and reliably find good investment? Sure. So for me, it's basically it's basically um, an incentive to to dive deeper and to 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 do more research. If um, you know, if if there's a an income source related to that, then uh, I just I go to conferences more. I uh, do interviews. I go more in depth. And and the the fun part of that for me is that it helps me hone my own investment skills. That was my initial motivation to get into the um, economic analysis business is I, I had no idea how I could protect my savings, how I could position myself because I saw a lot of instability in the financial system. And um, and the idea is also that it pays for itself. Uh, you, you subscribe to uh, one of these newsletters. And uh, if you're, you know, if you're uh, if you follow the advice, it should pay for itself. If you're not happy with it, there's usually in, in the industry, there's just a standard refund policy. Most have at least a month. I prefer to have a two month uh, refund policy. If people don't like what they see, they just get their money back. So have you, I mean, in the past, you've outlined some scenarios, you know, for future valuations of of one Bitcoin and have you seen any evidence to like the shakiness of the fiat world right now that Bitcoin can consume any of those markets like gold hedge funds or businesses? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, like, I mean, not, not necessarily consuming, but I mean, like in the case of gold, we're talking about what, uh, all the gold in the world is about 5 billion ounces. That's worth, um, about five, I think it's 5.3, uh, trillion dollars. Uh, compare that to Bitcoin, which yeah maybe is is now ten billion. Uh, that's like point zero two percent. So for it to go to point one percent of all the gold, Bitcoin would quintuple in in value. And so I think that's really that's very 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 feasible as a goal. And so like all these big markets, whether you're talking about remittances, uh, e-commerce, uh, even like darknet markets or you know the gray markets of the world um if if only a tiny sliver goes into bitcoin then uh the valuation is is going to grow and obviously there's also the the network effect that uh that, that helps with that so yeah I, I i still think that these markets uh will um seed value to bitcoin uh, over time i really think uh, we're talking about something like the 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 base layer for an internet of property do you think Bitcoin stands a chance when all these governments start issuing their own stuff? Japan already said, hey, we're going to have Japan coin. <laughs> I really almost said the really bad. Yeah. I almost said that, but I helped myself. Japan coin and 
then I think I know at least one other country has said in, in South America said they want to issue a, a cryptocurrency. Do you think Bitcoin stands a chance? Yeah, and like and Fedcoin and uh, what is it now? Uh, yeah, I think Ecuador was talking about a digital currency. I think absolutely Bitcoin stands like I, I don't think you can compare them really like government initiatives when it comes to technology are usually pretty laughable uh like a story that i like to remind people of is uh back in 2006 uh president chirac of france decided that he could do google but better and uh, he uh found a he found a way to uh eat together two and a half billion euros and plunge it into a project called Quiro, and that was going to be the European competitor with Google. And the fact that none of us has ever heard about that it says a lot. It, it, it got um, it got classified in 2013. It's just no longer active. So yeah, I mean that's that's on the one hand, and then also you're talking about the government's propensity to print money. Like if they are going to have a Fed coin. It's just, you know, if anything, it's going to be a bit more transparent, maybe. And, uh, you know, um, but it's still going to be centrally organized. And uh, if governments need money, they will pressure the central bank to just create more of those of those Fed coins. So as far as inflation goes, it just won't compare with anything like like Bitcoin. Hmm. Sure, that's well, really what about the uh, what about the price lately? Can you provide any clarity to the recent rises in the price? Yeah. So like for me, going back all the way to like late 2013, from like 600 and above, I really thought it was overheating. And then in, in early January called the double top. And then I thought it was going to decline by like 60%. And it did only it did decline more, it went down 85%. And also, instead of just a correction, it became a Bitcoin winter that lasted about two years. Uh, like for me, I thought a lot about this, like why, you know, why did it go down more than I thought? And um, one of the things that I underappreciated was um, the mining margin squeeze. Um, I can go into that if you want. But basically, the mining sector was leveraged. And uh, and then when the, the squeeze came, when the price went down, uh, a, there was a lot more coins were flooded into the market. And I also underestimated the, the impact of the Willy bot uh, of Mangox, which pushed the price higher than it would have gone otherwise. And so we had this long Bitcoin winter. And um, we could see on the chart that from, you know, that when it reached about 200, it hovered between two and 300 for quite a while. And then to the next level, three and 400. So it's like a, this kind of pressure cooker effect where there's tension building up, there's a lot of negativity, but at the same time, the price is stable or rising. And um, and so eventually that pressure just gave way. And uh, a lot of the traders who had, you know, who would, who would sell uh, whenever 300 was reached or whenever 400 was reached, that's how they made profits. By um by 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 putting sell orders in and that kept the price down. Eventually, they had to give in and give up, and so uh, then all the buyers started becoming in, more in charge of the, of the price. And obviously, we've seen uh, capital uh, flight from China. That's been really significant. Uh, also, more unrest in Japan. If you look at uh, Bitcoin volumes in Japan, which is has to do with uh, the government printing money like crazy over there. Uh, and several other countries like Brazil, even like places like Nigeria, Ghana, uh, they've seen a lot more interest in Bitcoin. So, and then also, I think the scalability debate—it's um, clear to people who who are in the Bitcoin market every day that 
Bitcoin will scale. Maybe people are not too happy about, you know, the speed at which it's, it's, you know, the solutions are, are being rolled out. But uh, it's, it's clear to people that there really is a road ahead. And uh, I think that's also important. Does that, does like answer your question? Maybe it was a bit, a bit too elaborate or? No, no, there's, there is no too elaborate here. It, it <laughs> goes deep or as shallow as you'd like to, but yeah. I, it's, I guess it's, you, you're definitely still, I wouldn't say bullish, but you're, you're, you're backing Bitcoin still. And it's been uttered. I'm not sure by who that Bitcoin is the MySpace to whatever, you know, whatever comes next. Do you feel Ethereum is possibly what that, whatever may be, or do you think something like uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum can coexist? Do you see a healthy ecosystem of, of multiple currencies, or do you see something that on the lines of Bitcoin allowing altcoins to then develop to a certain percentage and then trying to adopt what they do and only having you know one chain to rule them all is something we continue to say. Right. Yeah. And like another comparison is like, is Bitcoin the Betamax who was first in the market yeah. and who was who was more, you had higher quality uh, image uh, and, and is then Ethereum VHS, which may really be, you know, it, there's a bit more shortcuts being taken and things are a bit more sloppy seeming, but the mix is more what the market wants and then it wins out. So um, I think I'm a maximalist. I'm a cryptocurrency maximalist. I think we will see um, uh, a winner, kind of winner takes all thing where the winner takes 80% of the market and then you have a long tail of smaller uh, currencies. Uh, I think the, you know, cryptocurrency history so far has proven that. And I think that's going to continue. And so, yeah, I've thought a great deal about, um, which doesn't mean that I'm an expert, but I've thought a great deal about, um, yeah, could Ethereum be, you know, the next thing? Could it be VHS to, um, to, to, to Bitcoin Betamax? And, um, I don't know. So far, I'm really still on the fence. I, I don't feel decided. I'm still doing uh, research, but I'm still on the fence about a number of things that concern me about Ethereum, uh, which which makes me think that maybe it, it is not uh, strong enough of a backbone to become the 80% or to become... And yeah, maybe it's going to be a smaller percentage, but... Um, uh, like for me, the, what's most important is what is going to be the dominant cryptocurrency. So like some things that, that worry me about Ethereum is scalability for one. How is Ethereum going to scale long term? Uh, like the blockchain after 10 months was uh, about 10 gigabytes big. And uh, that means it was growing a lot faster or has been growing a lot faster than Bitcoin. And so that becomes a problem for the decentralization. If you want to run a node, you, uh, you know, you, you would have to like have a lot of, of, um, storage capacity, maybe yeah. also higher bandwidth. But then again, uh, you know, the Ethereum guys say they're going to solve that by, um, uh, transitioning the proof of stake and, and then uh, and so doing and the so sharding and, um, but that, that brings up another concern for me, which is that, you know, the proof of stake, uh, it's still kind of unproven in, in, in my view. Uh, we haven't seen a large scale system actually work on that. And, um, from a security point of view, it appears that you, you really run into the risk that your attack surface, uh, uh, sorry, you're into the risk that, uh, there can be all kinds of political, um, political, Attacks. Basically, if you get money for free by just proving that you own coins and then for a very small cost doing the mining, then a lot of money can go into attacks that don't do proof of work, but that 
try to manipulate you or try to bribe you or try to get influence. And then you get this kind of, this is a concern that Adam Beck and, uh, and some other people have, have voiced. Basically, that if your blockchain has no work, it will regress to work-based attacks. Uh, and so that's something that mm. I, I kind of want to see happen. And then also to get to proof of stake, we need a hard fork. Um, there's also um, the, the concern of uncle mining, which uh, Sergio Lerner has uh, written quite extensive an article about that. He then uh, discussed it with Vitalik and uh, it, it, he confirmed that, yes, it is, it is a, a concern. It's basically a type of attack that could be done on Ethereum as it is today. And uh, it appears in April that uh, Vitalik proposed to do a hard fork to, to solve this, this problem. But, I mean, you're talking about a system that's already worth over a billion dollars. Uh, a lot is at stake. And so how is that going to, you know, we've seen all the d debates and discussions in Bitcoin uh, about how to do a hard fork. So I'm kind of curious how that's going to turn out in, in Ethereum. Uh, if, if they're going to do hard forks to move to proof of stake, to, uh, you know, undo this uncle mining stuff. Um, how is the community going to react? How are the miners going to look at that? Uh, that's all, you know, to be seen. And then Turing completeness, um, it, it really seems like, yeah, on the one hand, yes, it can run any computer program. But on the other hand, that seems to mean that you can create uh, contracts or code that will loop and that can exhaust the system. And uh, yes, it does seem that there's some, you know, some solutions for that that are proposed with the, you know, gas that's consumed, etc. cetera. Uh, but still, uh, from what I understand, you, the attack surface becomes significantly bigger. Uh, I don't think it's a coincidence that if you, that if you look in the biological world, uh, that uh, living organisms are, are made out of, uh, at, at the lowest level, very, very, very simple um, and limited um, protocol, so to speak. And so that's why when you're talking about the backbone for an Internet of money, Internet of property, I, I, I still I still have a bit more confidence in the, the security of, uh, of proof of work of Bitcoin where it is today. Um, other... Let's see other concerns that I might have. Well, yeah, actual use cases versus Bitcoin because you actually have to show that, you know, there's there's more there. There's uh, significantly more that you can do with Ethereum and more efficiently. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and the argument that, you know, transactions go faster now with uh, payment channels uh, is, is becoming a little bit weak in my view. Um, and then also smart contracts can and will be built on, on Bitcoin too. I think those are kind of my main my main concerns for now. So I'm definitely not writing it off. Um, uh, that's my concern for the long term. And the short term, I'm afraid that there's a bit of a hype factor as well. So that maybe, um, which is something very common in the in the commodity industry, when, for example, a new discovery is being made and people have found gold in the ground in some, you know, Papua New Guinea or, or Brazil or something, and the gold grade is is very high seeming then this junior mining company that initially was in the exploration stage all of a sudden gets an influx of capital. People are really excited and the stock just booms. It booms up. And then it takes about two, three, four years to build the actual mine and see the actual production results. And so often you get a trough after that. After the initial exuberance, you get a trough. And then um, when there's actual results, then you get a big slope up. And then it becomes an actual gold mine that produces and has long-term value. And so with Bitcoin, I'm uh, sorry, with Ethereum, 
I feel like we're in this initial phase where there's a discovery that's been made, the initial results seem promising, but we really have to see real-world applications, and those are not really there in my view. And so I think it's very, very possible that we'll see a trough after this. Price will decline, and there'll be some disillusion, there'll be doubt, and I want to see those discussions. I want to see what comes out of that, how the hard forks actually go. And then, you know, when it's clear, if you do your research, that there's long-term value, that's the moment when I feel more comfortable to invest. I don't know if that makes sense to you. Well, it's definitely detailed. So this, this meteoric rise, this okay. rise is just temporary then, that you believe? Uh, if you look at, um, you know, like TradeBlock and some other places have um, the uh, the chart of Ethereum versus Bitcoin, but there are several markets where you can trade Ethereum versus Bitcoin. And so the price, you see the price charts of uh, Ether versus Bitcoin. And so we had a big spike on, uh, let's see, in March. In, in March, March, it spiked up to 0.0336. Mm-hmm. And then it went down all the way to 0.015. And then it's bucked up again, but not as high to 0.033. And now we're at around 0.027. And so what I think might be happening is that we saw a double top. We saw a double top in Ethereum expressed in Bitcoin. Um, and, uh, and so in a sense, it's a little bit similar to, you know, Bitcoin in 2013, where we also had a double top. Um, and, um, and so. But that's a it's a known technical pattern in in, uh, in pricing. Mm-hmm. If if the second top doesn't exceed the previous one, it could indicate that the market is feeling a bit exhausted and that a lot of early adopters are starting to take profit. And then once the price declines enough, even the people who got in late, they all of a sudden they're underwater and they also start to sell. And this is regardless of the fundamentals. Like this is just mass psychology at work Mm -hmm. so obviously i don't feel certain uh we have some support still technically at like point point zero twenty four and then below that at point zero twenty two so as long as we don't go below that i I don't feel very certain but if we do break below point zero twenty two i think yeah i think we have uh, a real decline and it could take six twelve months before ethereum recovers if at all you know speaking to a little like what what you said here is that this this kind of overall excitement about Ethereum and and people are trying to jump on the train in hopes that it takes off and becomes because you see a lot of you know headlines saying you know will will Ethereum take over Bitcoin and so on and so forth and you hear a lot of terms get thrown around such as Turing complete and without respect to what this what this phrase actually means uh, like. In, in terms of the phrase, Turing complete is the language of solidity and how you can express the programming code is Turing complete, but its implementation onto the Ethereum blockchain is not. Right. And people don't quite understand these types of distinctions, but the people who are trying to sell Ethereum try and throw these terms around because it sounds really good. And yes, the programming language is more generalized. You can do in practice right now more things with Ethereum you can with Bitcoin it doesn't mean that um, it's automatically more valuable it, it's, it has to be kind of uh, I guess taken into a few accounts before you start throwing a shitload of money into it I believe it's really cool but uh, I feel like the hype is definitely there right yeah I agree and, and it reminds me a little bit of politics as well where you know like 
free. The word free is like amazing. And people are like, are like more. It's like, oh, let's, you know, this politician is like, oh, let's do more of this. I'll bring more jobs and more of this. And then you look at how they want to achieve that. And then it's maybe like, we'll increase the minimum wage. And on the surface, like, oh, man, that's amazing. You know, all these workers are going to make more money. And the, But then <laughs> few people talk about what actually happens is that, you know, companies have to fire a lot of people because they can't afford them anymore. And then the unemployment goes up instead of, you know, staying staying uh, steady and, and people earning more. So I feel like in, in a similar way, yeah, the, the discussion is, um, you know, often a bit at the surface. And I think, frankly, and I, I have this experience too, a lot of people don't understand uh, a fairly significant part of Ethereum and how things are supposed to work and um, and how things will be sorted out. And so, like, you know, there's an appeal to that as well. Like, there's a bit of magic. And uh, and then there's these, you know, these, these developers who, I mean, I think Vitalik right now has a little bit of the status that I saw in, um, in Gavin, Gavin Andreessen back in 2013. Like, you know, he wasn't a god, but he was pretty close to it for a lot of people. Like, he would also give, uh, you know, the Bitcoin State of the Union and, like, people would, um, you know, like, hang on his lips. And, I mean, obviously, he hasn't done for Bitcoin what what Vitalik has done for Ethereum. Like, I'm, I'm told, and also, I'm not saying that, you know, there will be a downfall and, and you know, uh, Vitalik is going to, like, I, I hope not. I really hope that's not going to happen. Um, but in terms of, like, the... You know the the the, the reverence, yeah, idolization. I do think there's some, you know, there's some similarities, and it's kind of too bad because people invest a lot in this image that is not necessarily reality, but that they project. They project stuff into a person, and then when there's one little misstep or something goes a little wrong, and all of a sudden that flips around and the person is demonized. So I really, I, I hope it's not going to happen. But yeah, I'm kind of. Um, I'm kind of worried about stuff like that happening in the in the Ethereum community. But on the other hand, I am also curious to see, you know, if there's more turmoil, kind of like in Bitcoin, that's when you get the most interesting discussions as well. You can really go in depth, like how much material has there been produced about the block size? Holy moly, like you can read for three months. Well, that material was not there. Absolutely not back in 2013. And so I kind of want to see a lot of material being produced in Ethereum, about Ethereum, uh, and about how things can work in the long run. Well, something I guess uh, one of our next points that we wanted to point out is 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 the DAO, and an interesting part about what has happened with the DAO. It it was put into creation. People put a shitload of money into it, and then they've come to the realization that well, the voting mechanism that we we init- initially implemented has some flaws, and people which people pointed out. And the initial reaction was, all right, let's not do anything with all the money we have and f- try and fix these flaws. And there seems to be somewhat of a public outlook uh, from the a lot of the you know articles you read, things people are writing of, well, I guess the Dow failed. And it's, in my opinion, ridiculous to say something say something like that when the smart thing to do when you realize that something doesn't work is to not do anything and fix it. And then the initial reaction is, well, you failed. Good job. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you have this discrepancy between how people view what happened with the Dow and how it's actually performing. And I feel like um, that may be an issue with all of cryptocurrency. It may be performing really well, but the outward view that some people see is that it's not working. And right. 
I don't know if that's being overdone with Ethereum and the DAO, and especially Bitcoin. People say Bitcoin's development is stagnant and not happening, when that's certainly not true. Right, right. Yeah, I, I, that's a great point. I, I totally agree that um, people are like, yeah, this is amazing, and it'll do this and that. And then it's like, if it doesn't happen the next day, it's like, whoa, what's like, <laughs> like, why is it not happening? And then like, and so what you see is that people actually reveal by their being alarmed and upset and all that, they actually reveal that they didn't really do their homework and then, and they're expecting things that are unrealistic. And yeah, like as far as, you know, decentralized autonomous organizations go, I'm really excited about that stuff. I'm really excited about, uh, the, the, uh, robotization of, of society, if you will, and, uh, and, and contracts becoming more and more automized. Um, I don't know if the DAO, uh, is, has been implemented that well. I have some experience, I have some background actually in, in like, uh, direct democracy in a practical sense. Um, like first when I was younger, I was involved in, uh, in like a political organization that was in favor of of direct democracy as as a political system, so I, I remember reading a, quite a bunch of articles about how it works in Switzerland and all that. And they do also have quora there, so I, I don't think it's it's I don't think that's a bad idea to have a quorum, uh, which is a minimum amount of votes to uh, even have the election uh, have any any impact. Which I think is a, otherwise, if nobody's interested, a few people can vote on on this obscure proposal, and then all of a sudden the the DAO money goes to um, to a place where you know that wasn't vetted at all or that's maybe even fraudulent so and then later i was involved in um in in uh, democratic schools where um the rules of the school were voted upon by the school meeting every week and uh, people could just just like with the DAO, anybody could uh, bring up new proposals hmm. um and so what I I did I so I, I did an internship in a school like that where um, it was not entirely democracy so like fifty percent wasn't enough they had sociocracy which is like a, a weird kind of consensus system I, I never really believed in it and over time it fell apart uh, people stopped believing in the school meeting and part of that was because the consensus was needed so so with that background my concern is with the DAO that. Um, if you don't set up things carefully, it is possible that people will lose confidence. And uh, a lot of people who haven't even bothered to vote still have the option to opt out and, uh, you know, do the seven week thing and uh, go back to Ether. And I think the DAO might actually shrink quite a bit because of that. It doesn't mean that in the very long term it will fail. But, um, you know, I don't know. And I think it's, you know, one of those grand experiments. It's super interesting to watch. Uh, but like from an investor's point of view, if the DAO is at least perceived to fail in the short run, uh, then I think that could also reflect badly on Ether and people would like use that as, as you know, like one of those headlines of like, oh, Ether is not doing well. So, yeah, I'm not I'm like to put it shortly, like in the short run, I'm definitely not bullish on uh, the DAO tokens. I think they will probably go lower uh, even, you know. Right now, they're they're like worth set, what is it again? Ninety two percent of their underlying ether. Mm. I think that might actually drop some more if if people panic a little bit and they want to go back to ether or Bitcoin. So this may or may not be off topic. We are talking about the DAO. Are you familiar with the Terminator franchise? Wait, the, say that again. The Terminator movie franchise. Yeah, yeah. So the question I've been asking myself is: if I own Skynet. 
will it still kill me? And what if, have you thought about that? What is Skynet in the in the movie? Well, Say Skynet. That again. Skynet's it's, responsible it's a, for Judgment Day. They launched the nukes. Oh. Yeah. Okay. It's a computer artificial intelligence system that takes over the internet and then launches nukes on the humans, and then. So if I own Skynet, aka the Dow, will it right. still kill me? That's something I've thought a little bit about. Joke's gone bad. The joke did go sour. <laughs> I was expecting a much better response. But. Well, I think it's a good point, actually, like because a lot of people are worried about AI and like his artificial intelligence is going to dominate saying, us and take us over. Are you trying to save my joke? To- <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Mark Jello is typing in our uh, our little our little thing here with Sky. <laughs> that was a fail. Yeah. If anything, and we'll I, just. I actually Robo-Cop had a really it. good point that I wanted to bring up, and that I've completely forgotten because yeah. of this. I Thanks. took that rug out from underneath you. Yeah. What's the point? Let's see if we can get back to it. Let's bring it back. Let's just Shit. rewind. Oh. <laughs> Certainly had a lot to do with the Dow, but I don't remember what it was. Oh yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, you you said you're 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 really into the automation, like you know, the, the automization of of humans or technology and how we deal with each other but even with things like the dow we can make smart contracts we can make we can we can tie the business logic into immutable smart contracts where it always works you can do a lot of automization you can you can work with cryptocurrencies that then make the transfer of value really secure and immutable and trustless and so on and so forth but at the end of the day you're always working with humans and you can't get rid of the human aspect of all these things. And to try and say that this, like, human problems won't be an issue is is ignorant. You're always right. going to have human problems. And when you have to deal with voting and greed and all of those issues that humans have, regardless of how much you automize things, it, it's, it's stupid to say those things are going to go away. Right. Yeah, yeah. I, I totally agree. So that and then also the wisdom of crowds is not like I think a lot of people overestimate the power of the wisdom of crowds. They're like, oh, you know, there is this. I actually I read the James Sudowicki book back in I don't know when it came out, uh, like 10 years ago or something, the wisdom of crowds. And so it it doesn't always work. Uh, it's it's you know pretty good to but but you need a base knowledge in society. Uh, to or in the group that you're you're trying to get the the, the judgment out of, and um, you also need some some expertise and some access to to real data. So there's definitely going to be uh, limits, I think, to what digital digitized democracies can do. And uh, I think we're exploring just that. And I think there will definitely be like overinflated expectations about that too. Um, which you know it doesn't mean that it can it doesn't mean that it can be figured out, but it does mean that. You know, if you're too early as an investor, you really might get burned. Hmm. Does that make sense? Oh, that makes perfect sense. I was leaving the stage for Trello to chime in, <laughs> but uh, he didn't. So I'm going to snag oh. it. <laughs> no, 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 no. I got a question for uh, Mr. Tour because uh, uh, we get new listeners all the time uh, and that translates into new Bitcoiners. So in your expert opinion, how would someone like that survive a Bitcoin bubble? Oh, you mean like a person who's new to Bitcoin and they like invested or they put some money in like two weeks ago? Sure. Yeah, yeah like a is, pump and dump. Yeah. yeah, if this is the next Bitcoin bubble, crossing my fingers, how do they survive right. it? 
because there's going to be a pullback. Yeah. And it was right. hard for me to survive it when I got in and when it was all the way peaking at the top of that double top, as you say. And then I just watched my money dwindle. But do you have right. any personal advice as an investor? Right. Yeah, yeah. Like I've, I've gone through a few. And um, so let's see. First of all, um, make sure that your significant other is informed and on board. I think that's really that's important. Hot, Even that's if you, hot advice. Yeah, mm-hmm. I really think. I mean, important. like, obviously, if you just put in a nickel, then it, then it's fine. But if you know, if you're thinking about putting something that could become significant or that is already a bit significant, it's really important because it's going to be tough. It's going to be super volatile, and it's not only when it goes down that uh, that that's important. It's also when it goes up. There's a threat on. I think it's our Bitcoin market or, or something where somebody invested not even that long ago into. I think it's uh, GPTC, like with their with their uh, retirement account or something. Bought Bitcoin, and he's saying, "My wife is pressuring me to sell. Um, what should I do?" And so I think it would have helped this guy if he had talked to her in the beginning and if they had agreed kind of on roughly what the game plan was and where you want to take it long term because it it doesn't always behave like traditional financial assets so that that's one i think is important uh, another thing is to to really <laughs> um kind of know yourself like um, am i somebody who is is quick to you know do something impulsively and if that's the case maybe you want a hardware wallet and you want to make it a little bit more difficult you know to access those coins and sell them if you you know if you if you feel bad so you kind of store it for the long term you could do that or like for example zappo if you have a, a vault there they'll take 48 hours to even put it in your wallet so that will give you you know some some time to to think again whether you actually want to sell and then also just look in the mirror and think how am i going to feel if and then you go up and like how am i going to feel if bitcoin is 50% higher what am i going to want to do but what also the other way around like what if bitcoin goes down to x what if it, like i've done the exercise even down to $100 like um, and I, and it did it did briefly hit 150 in 2015, uh, oh, and that really helped. That. Those, those exercises to really be like, all right, it's 500 now, but how am I going to feel if it goes down 200 dollars more? Or what if it goes down 60, 70 percent? Am I going to sell? How much? And so often that led me to decide to actually sell a little bit earlier. Like, oh, it's 500 now. Why don't I sell a little bit now? Make a little bit of a cushion for myself, and so I feel less pressure to sell more when it's lower or whatever. But just so that you're more psychologically prepared for for volatility and um and then also maybe um try to keep it light on on pressuring or recommending friends and family to get involved uh because you know if things don't go very well and maybe you're like you're under stress because of all that uh, which i mean it shouldn't be the case i really don't recommend people to invest more than you know, 5% or maybe if you're, you know, a young person and you have a long horizon ahead, maybe 10%. Um, but still, like maybe you're a bit stressed and then you have this family member who's like, oh, what's going on? Like this, this Bitcoin CEO just quit. Like, should I sell? <laughs> like maybe you don't, you don't want that, right? Maybe, you know, there's a cost to uh, getting a lot of people involved that's not always talked a lot about. Yeah, I'd say sell them to me. Hold on to them for a while. Give them back. No. <laughs> Well, we have one last question we ask everyone. It's it could be the toughest question you'll ever receive in this <laughs> okay, entire bring it on. industry. But in ten words or less, can you describe Bitcoin? 
Um, Bitcoin is money for the internet. I like to keep it simple. It's just uh, money for the internet. And that's how early adopters often describe it or people who just like learn about it for the first time. And uh, I think that's actually, you know, there's a lot of hocus pocus and a lot of blockchain, like mm -hmm. almost like, I don't know, this this weird vocabulary of like, ah, oh, consensus layer and, you know, yeah, I don't know. It's it's just money for the internet. And, and that's how, you know, what is the internet? Well, it's communication, uh, digital communication. That's really it. So Bitcoin is the money layer for the internet. Yeah, that's kind of, in my opinion, one of the better the the better explanations of what it is because it allows the protocol and the underlying technology to change, but it's always going to be the money of the internet. Right. Right. Yeah, and and I mean maybe blockchain can be used here and there in different ways, and uh, but. Yeah, like I mean, as far as Bitcoin goes, and also that's what it does. You know, read um, read the the white no, well, not necessarily white paper, but read uh, what Satoshi wrote on the forums. He refers to Bitcoin as as digital gold. Other people do. He makes this comparison of uh, sorry, it's it's mainly digital cash. But then when you look into what is cash actually, um, well, gold is a form of cash, and Bitcoin is another form of cash. And Satoshi also compares Bitcoin to this gray metal. He's like, imagine that there's a gray immutable uh, metal and you can send it instantly. And so like, yeah, he's revealing that Bitcoin really was conceived as as digital gold, digital cash, digital money. It's, it's where it started. Keeping it simple. Keeping it simple. <laughs> well, then I've always found that that definition, though, you always are you're going to have those few people. That kind of Zoolander out and are like, well, if it's in the internet, how do I use it in real life? And then I don't know. But then those kind of those are the kind of people you kind of leave behind, anyways. So they're the late adopters, right? I mean, it's the people who like who still use their AOL accounts and who maybe oh. just made a Facebook account. They're still yeah, out they, there. They can be the late adopters. <laughs> they have their place. That's true. <laughs> well, Tor, thank you very much. For stopping by the yeah, Bitcoin yeah. podcast. Thank you, sir. We greatly You're welcome, appreciate it. I was going to ask some other foolish questions like, what is your favorite tour? The Tour de France, the Daytona 500. <laughs> uh, but, you know, that just gets dumb. So we're, <laughs> we're going to wind it <laughs> let's, down. Let's, let's keep it at the tour network then. <laughs> well, Secret. thanks Ooh. for stopping by. I, that's all we have for you. All right. And uh, it was great have a fun. good evening. Thanks, awesome. Yeah, you too. All right. Bye. And that was the interview with Tor Demeester, uh, economist, uh, financial consultant, most likely, advisor as well, maybe. If you hit him up, I'm sure he'll charge you for advice on uh, cryptocurrency and how I to deal with him. All around cool dude. Crazy. Yeah, man, it was real cool. He looks like he even plays indoor soccer. You could tell by his profile pictures. Look at his profile pictures. He clearly plays indoor soccer. I guarantee you, if we send him an email, send him an email. Maybe he'll answer us during the podcast. Do you do you play indoor soccer? He'll probably send him that email while we're doing this. Or Twitter. Somebody get on that. Um. So yes, um, hopefully you enjoy the comments that he had on Ethereum because they're they're important and they're they're pertinent because um, you know you know Ethereum wants to move from proof of work to proof of stake, which 
basically gives anyone who owns a ass ton of Ethereum a lot of power uh, for my glaze over on yeah, how proof of stake works. I don't know about that. No, I don't, I don't. I'm not up to date on exactly how that works, but I There's so don't many quite think that's with. true. We need to get getting paid for this, man. No, 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 no. It's it's, it's gotten <laughs> like this is something that has is is I wouldn't call it a problem. I'd call it a growth and a beneficial beneficiality of the cryptocurrency space. It's now impossible to keep up to date with everything. There's too much going on all the time. There's too much development, too much news, too much drama for you to be up to date and in the know and just in everything. Yeah. It's grown Specialize. too big. You need to specialize now. And we'll yep. keep a surface level idea of what's going on and talk to, you know, leaders in the field, but we're not going to know anything. That's uh, know everything. It's impossible but, now. Yeah. Let that be advice from the Bitcoin podcast to everyone listening. Specialize you know, be the name where somebody's like, oh, man, how does that one little thing work? Be the name that people think about because it's kind of getting that way in the cryptocurrency space. There's a lot of things to keep up with. So, all right, moving on. I, Let's I segue thought, to Deep Thoughts with D. Deep Thoughts with D. Uh... Um, <laughs> all right. Thank you for that theme music. <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, here's the thing. I think the cryptocurrency uh, community in general, I'm talking about the general person who uh, contributes to forums, gives their opinion, works on things, projects here and there. Uh, there's one word that the community needs to, to just like maybe stick on their dream wall, whatever the hell they use while they're working on projects, uh, and that's patience. Everybody, it seems, feels like a project is supposed to be announced on Monday and then live and read to go on Tuesday. And, and that's just not how shit works. And I guarantee this whole Dow debacle, alliteration aside, double down on that alliteration, by the way. Uh, everybody thought the Dow was just going to work because it, it, it feels like it was a little rushed. And you know, we were kind of a part of that, to be the truth. To, I mean, to put the truth out there, we we really were touting the Dow, but at the end of the day, it had that huge bug. And then uh, fucking Hamburglar got away with all the damn burgers. I named Is it him, possible I that the bug wasn't a bug? Mr. Fuckface. Mr. Fuckface, that's right. In Corey's blog, Mr. Fuckface got away with all the ether. Cor uh, not Corey, Cello, you said, is it possible that the bug wasn't a bug? Yeah, what if it was a back door? No. Okay. Mm. You're trying to get Corey, all... Michael me down. You're trying to get all... Answer. No, this Michael is, this, it was incredibly subtle in the way... I explained it earlier. This is, this is a subtlety that happened because uh, if you look at the code, it looks like it should work. It should, that it should work. And then when it transforms into, you know stack of things and people can create contracts to manipulate the code in ways that or like manipulate the functions in ways that you wouldn't think would be possible it's, it's this is not it's, a back door people did not I'm not saying it was intentional they made it. what then what what are you calling it that's what uh, a back door is I, a back door is intentional no i'm i'm saying that there was no proper multi-layered approach to the risk mitigation for example, a function that can be 
invoked in an event of an attack to move the balance to a simpler refund contract. That You're doesn't right. have to You're be right. intentional. And we said there wasn't a mechanism for this type of attack. That wasn't built in, which was uh, uh, the reason pretty much why it, the DAO was currently in a moratorium so that these things could be upgraded. We just didn't get it done in time. And this is a big we. I was a part of this. Y'all were a part of this. We've our listen, A lot of our listeners were a part of this. We were all a part of this, except most of us don't have this type of deep level knowledge of how to fix these things or find the problems. And unfortunately, because it's an open project, when someone finds a problem, they publish it. And then when douchebag McGee, Mr. Fuckface, reads that, he does it. Yep. Fuckface. Fuckface. So the deep thought. Patience. Um, things take time, and, and the more grandiose a project, what seems to be the theme from every group or or team that's working on something in this space, some sort of grandiose project, it's gonna take time. And while it takes that time, if if you can't contribute to that specific project, maybe contribute to overall Bitcoin or Ethereum or whatever seems to be, you know, stake and claim and having some sort of level of permanence within cryptocurrency contribute to that somehow but be patient not everything is going to happen overnight i mean bitcoin's only been around for what six years seven years 2009 to 2016 seven years i mean that's not a long time Uh, shit independence day is 20 years old Sequel's coming out. Sequel's coming out soon, but damn, that's 20 years old. Think about that. That shit still comes on FX all the time. I love it. Yeah, Welcome to don't, Earth. Don't expect to not hit hurdles, too. I mean, if, if, this, if these things are going to grow and become how the world works, eh, the first couple attempts at doing them are going to fail, or yeah. there's going to be a problem with them and they'll get fixed. And don't be surprised when that happens. It's this is going to happen and it's normal and healthy and we'll and and even uh Dr. Gunsrier talked about it mentioned this. In the end, Ethereum is going to be better. And in the end, because Ethereum is going to be better, so will Bitcoin, all other altcoins and the cryptocurrency space as a whole. We're learning from this. It's just at the moment we're living in it and it sucks, especially if you have money in the Dow. At what point do we call him Bitcoin Batman? Uh, uh, I'll wait. Let's just be serious here. Look at all of his profile pictures. He's usually on a boat doing something fancy like Bruce Wayne would. He hits us. He hits the whole community, Bitcoin and Ethereum community, with justice all the time on a regular basis. He represents he what I. Car, I'm convinced. He represents what I hope we have more of in the future, and that is people spending a good portion of their time looking very critically and objectively at cryptocurrency and distributed systems as a whole and then sharing that information as much as possible it, we need to clone him yeah i mean and this is this is what happens when you have this in academia with you know lessons and, and people learning things and how this all this stuff works the more people understand how all of this works the more they can then look at it from a different viewpoint objectively with critical skills and fix things and warn people about things. We don't. It, it's a young space. We don't have that many people in it. I mean, we've talked about this before when we had 
uh, we talked to the Expo Exosphere guys. It's the limiting reagent to mass mass adoption is developers. We need really good developers. Reagent, I do believe, for those listeners, is like the reactive material in a, a chemical reaction. Ingredient. And there you go. Ingredient. You're limiting ingredient. You can't keep making more pies if you run out of bread. or I don't know how to make pies. Flour? Yeah. If you run out of flour, you can't keep making more pies. Or those silver trays, because you don't, or, or a pie container. Because if you don't have a pie container, you're basically just going to have just like a mush. That's not an ingredient. Everywhere. It's not an it's ingredient. Gonna be, it's going to be more so a... Uh, it's not an ingredient. Well, wait a second. I'm trying to think of the word. What's it called? Where you put like the cherries and the peach... Cobbler. Yeah. You don't have a pie tin or a pie container. You just got cobbler. It's not an ingredient. Doesn't doesn't quite work. It's like saying you can't do a chemical reaction because you run Without out of flasks. a petri dish. Anyway... <laughs> <laughs> Nevertheless, um, is there anything we're missing? Yeah, I'm sure there's plenty of shit we're missing. To talk about? Yeah, tell me about it. Um, nevertheless, um, I guess we're going to wind it down for you guys. It's been a long week and a half or so in the cryptocurrency space. Uh, Bitcoin's, as we speak at the moment, is going down in price, but uh, I'd like to believe from being around the block for a while it's because of that auction um, this guy's trying to get the best price on that big old lump sum of bitcoin that's entering uh, circulation yeah so um, let's see uh, shout out to Zoe Saldana are we shutting it down? yeah alright we're gonna wrap it up uh, shout out to Zoe Saldana um, let's see who else am I missing here Shout out to Perry Ann Boring. Shout out to Perry Ann Boring. Um, I'm not going to say why because she'll give me a cease and desist letter. Stop, 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 stop it. Stop. <laughs> Cello is going to get us sued one day. Yeah, we're going to get sued hard one day. <laughs> and all this work we thought we were doing is just going to dissipate. Um, let's see here. Uh, thebitcoinpodcast.com that's our website you can go to it you can sign up for our newsletter you'll know when our new episodes come out you'll get an email it'll go bloom on your phone or it'll be some different noise you know uh, whatever your ringtone flavor is uh, at the PTC podcast on Twitter at Mojincello runs the at the BTC podcast um, we also have a medium Corey's been blasting some nice, very nice blogs. His latest blog is is very, very nice and very good. And uh, and all of the good words that I can't seem to think of right now about the Dow and, and what's happened with it and where do we go from here. Uh, am I missing anything? Oh, Facebook, we post on there from time to time. Uh, you can message us on there. We'll talk back to you there. And um, if that's it, do we have any shout outs? You just did a bunch of shout outs. No, 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 no. I, I did one shout out to Zoe Saldana, of course. And Perry and Boring. And Perry and Boring, that's two. Uh, shout out uh, Aaron Petty for holding it down. Yeah, shout out to Aaron Petty for holding it down day in yeah, and day wife. out. Go, wife. Yeah, 
oh honeycrochet.com that's not a thing but it is <laughs> there's nothing on it though <laughs> future plug yeah for you guys that care about crochet Corey's wife crochets some pretty badass shit like fingerless drinking gloves plug um of course shout out to Michelle Obama as well uh so um play the outro yeah yeah